amen. I hope he's your living hope. And thank you, ladies, for lifting our hearts and lifting our words and songs to the Lord this morning. And this is the part of the service where I get all the boys and girls up here in the front generally, but I want you to gather around your TV screen, your computer screen, your iPhone, whatever it is you might be watching this service on. Kids, come on, pay attention. Moms and dads, turn to John chapter 11, verse 25 for the text for today's message. But boys and girls, first of all, uh, if, if you're all gathered, I want to ask you a question. How many of you are with some adults right now? Let me see your hands. Aren't you with? Yeah, okay, yeah, you got your hands up, okay. All, right, all of you are with adults of some kind. All right, good, good. Let me ask you a question. How do you know they're really there? How do you know those adults, that mom, that dad, that grandma, that granddad, that aunt, that uncle, how many of you really know that they're there and, and not just a figment of your imagination? Well, that's silly. Of course you know they're there. You can see them. You can hear them, you can touch them, so you know that they're there. That's a kind of an evidence for knowing something is there, or someone is there, or something is there. Now, let me ask you a question. Maybe you woke up this morning, and you went down to the kitchen, and there was a breakfast on the table, and there was eggs, and bacon, and toast, and all kinds of good jellies, and jams, and good stuff to eat, good stuff to drink. What if, what if I told you that what happened and how that breakfast got there was a refrigerator door accidentally opened up because there was a little slight earthquake and an egg fell out of the carton and rolled over onto a pan that was on the stove and the burner was on the stove and the egg cooked and then it slid over for some reason onto a plate and the plate kind of slid over onto the table and all of the other stuff appeared there and that's how it got there. Would you believe that? I don't think so, and yet there are people who want you to believe that's how we have everything, that's how all the world came into being, that's how the, uh, the planets and, and, and galaxies all came to being, they just happened. But things like don't, that don't happen, there's got to be someone who does them. Your mom or your dad or someone made that breakfast for you if you had a breakfast. By the way, you're probably missing the donuts that are here. Uh, we haven't been getting any. I haven't been eating them. I've been having enough trouble eating everything at home. But anyway, how do we know that there really is a God? One of the ways is by creation. The Bible says in Psalm 19:1 that the, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. So we look outside, we see the rain, we see the clouds, we see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars. We see the earth and all of its beauty, all of the animal life, plant life, and we know that someone had to prepare every bit of that. And then there were eyewitnesses, because when God came down born of a virgin and his name was Jesus, people saw him, and they saw him, they talked to him, they were taught by him, and they went with him, traveled around for a while, the disciples did. And then after the resurrection, there were eyewitnesses. Mary saw Jesus alive. John and Peter went to the tomb, and it was empty. The disciples then saw Jesus. Over 500 people at one time saw him. They saw him. They heard him. They touched him. This is called empirical evidence. It's proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And then on top of all that, we have God's 
Holy Word, the Bible. That tells us that Jesus, in fact, died, was buried, and rose again. It also lets us know there's a God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? The tomb is empty. The believers saw him, they heard him, they handled him. And the good news is, in the midst of all this other bad news, the good news is Jesus is alive forever, and you and I can be too when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay, boys and girls, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you so much for the beauty of creation that all point to you, an incredible God, all-powerful God who's a designer and, and, a, and a creator. And Lord, we just love you, and we know that you're going to protect us during this time. I, protect you, I pray that you'd protect every one of these boys and girls that are listening and watching the service today. Be with their parents and, and grandparents and other family members. And God, deliver us from this coronavirus, we pray. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, boys and girls, if you were here, we'd dismiss you to class, but you're going to have to stick it out right here with the adults, John eleven twenty five. 25. So uh, I wonder if you adults have uh, checked the news today. Have you been uh, looking, uh, looking into the statistics on the COVID-19 today? It seems like every couple of hours there's some kind of an update on TV by a governor or by a president or by some medical expert or whoever or even the local news people. How many have been tested so far? How many more are infected today than there were yesterday? Is the curve flattening somewhat? And the last and saddest statistic of all, how many have died? Death is something everyone's going to wind up that way, but no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to think about it. Adam, the first man, died. Eve, the first woman, died. Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived on this earth, died. Samson, the strongest man who ever lived, died. David, the man after God's own heart, died. Solomon, the richest man of his day, maybe ever, and the wisest man who ever lived, died. John the Baptist, whom Jesus said was the greatest man born of a woman, died. Even Jesus, the perfect man, died. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody once was going to have a funeral for a very well-known Christian who had a lot of non-Christian business associates. And so D.L. Moody wanted to preach a message using a text that Jesus had used in the Bible in one of his sermons. Well, he looked into the Gospels and he discovered an amazing thing that Jesus never preached a funeral message in the Word of God, not one time. Even more amazing is the fact that people sometimes didn't stay dead in his presence. Consider, for example, the widows of Nain's son, who Jesus rose from the dead, or Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, or Lazarus in John chapter 11, where you are right now. Uh, not to mention the graves that opened at Jesus' own resurrection. Um, a whole bunch of graves opened. Now, speaking of this Lazarus, he was a personal friend of Jesus, and so was his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And Jesus, in fact, had been on a little short teaching trip and got word that Lazarus was very, very ill. So the disciples figured he would turn around and go right back home right away, but he didn't. He waited a little bit longer. And when the disciples questioned him, he said that, that Lazarus was asleep, and when they didn't understand what he meant, he said, he's dead. So they thought, well, what's the point of going back now at all? But uh, So Lazarus is talking with Mary 
and, and, and with Martha, rather, uh, after the death of Lazarus. And in this conversation, we come to John eleven twenty five. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you know that that wasn't written in English, right? You know that was written in Greek, Koine Greek, the Greek conversational language of the day. And what it says here, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection, the Anastasia. The the Greek word Anastasia means the one standing upright again. It means the one brought back to life. And he said, I am the Anastasia, the resurrection, and I am the life, as opposed to death and non-existence. There are people who would teach us that once we die in this life, we die like an uh, an animal, we just die, we, we, we are no more, we have no more consciousness, we don't exist in any realm, uh, and, and that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, in other words, is firmly persuaded of me, will live even after dying, and in the King James it says, we'll never die, because the real us will never die, the real person will never die, the physical body may, but the real us will never die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In other words, Jesus could even give life to a corpse, and he did. He even had the power to raise himself from the dead because in the previous chapter, John 10, verse 17, he said, therefore, does my father love me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again? And listen to what he says. No man takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. The Romans didn't have the power, even though they were conquerors of the then known world. They did not have enough power to take the life of Christ from him. Uh, The Jews didn't have the power, the ability to do so. The Gentiles couldn't do it. No one could take his life. He said, I lay it down. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I, in my own volition, have the ability and the power to lay my life down, and I have the power, exousia is the Greek word. I have the power, the strength, the ability, the force to take it back up again. That's something no one else has ever had. No one who's ever died has had the power to take their life up again. No one who's alive today has the power, should they die, to take their life up again. But Jesus had that power. He was an unusual man, God, God, man. Remember in the whole of the New Testament, in the whole entire New Testament, all 33 years of Jesus' life on the earth that's recorded for us, no one ever died in his presence. In fact, people tended to not stay dead when he was around. That happened several times. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. In John 5, 21, for just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In John 5, 25, and I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. How can dead people hear anything? Because, again, if they believe in him, their body may die, but they will never die, and they will live again. In John 5, 28 and 29, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. And those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now, this is amplified and explained a little bit more. The idea of doing good is the idea of believing in Jesus Christ, receiving him as our personal Savior, having his righteousness applied to us, having his blood imputed to us. 
We just got through celebrating the Passover, and the Passover was a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us because in the Passover, the Jews got a lamb without spot or blemish, and they, they slew the lamb, and they took the blood and put it on the door jam and the doorpost and on either side and on the top of the door, and they stayed in the house. And when the death angel came through Egypt that, day, that night, anyone who had the blood applied was spared. And anyone who did not have the blood applied, the firstborn died. And so that night while there was a weeping and wailing in all of Egypt, every Jew who observed the Passover and had the blood applied lived. And ladies and gentlemen, every Christian who has the blood applied, the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of Almighty God, every single one who has the blood applied by grace through faith will live forevermore. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Satan and false preachers and false prophets have spread all kinds of weird theories about his resurrection. For example, you may have heard of the swoon theory. You see, Jesus didn't really die. Uh, He just passed out. And when he passed out on the cross, they thought he was dead, so they took his body down, wrapped him up, and put him in a tomb. And then when he got into the cool, damp tomb... He revived and was able to unwrap the grave clothes and roll this huge stone out from in front. I mean, after he had been beaten to the point of death, after he had been dehydrated, had been to six false trials, after he had gone through all of the crowning with thorns, the beating with uh, fists of the Roman soldiers, after all of that, he, he came to... And you mean to tell me they were, they were not able to tell he was really dead? And when they pierced the sword, or the spear rather, into his side and into his heart, that did, wasn't a fatal wound? Are you trying to tell me to believe in a swoon theory? No, I think it's a lot easier to believe in the fact that he died and rose again because he is the resurrection and the life. Another theory is the disciples stole the body. Well, how silly is that? The 11 disciples who were left that still were faithful to him supposedly went there, overcame, overwhelmed, or bribed the Roman guards and stole the body of Christ. And then the next day got up and said, oh my goodness, I guess he rose from the dead. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And they went to their own deaths, many of them being martyred, knowing it was a lie? Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make sense to me. I believe some disciple would have produced the the body at some point or would have confessed to it or, or whatever, but they, the disciples didn't steal the body. Jesus rose from the dead because he's the resurrection and the life. Some people say, well, the Jews stole the body because they, they knew that the disciples were up to no good and they were going to do something. So, so they went ahead and stole the body, bribed the guards, which they did finally bribe the guards, but not in order to steal the body because they would have produced that body when everybody started preaching about the resurrection. Others say, well, they went to the wrong tomb. I mean, seriously? I mean, do you think that people who had been to a grave three days ago are going to forget where the tomb was and go to the wrong tomb? And did the angel get confused? I can see the angel now checking the GPS. I think it's over here, but I'm not sure. Things don't look familiar. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. I don't think the angel was wrong. I don't think the women with spices were wrong. I don't think that the... John and Peter went to the wrong tomb. I don't think Jesus was the wrong tomb because, remember, he showed himself to Mary Magdalene. I don't think he was mistaken about it either. I think it was the right tomb, and I think the tomb was empty. And the answer is because he rose from the dead like he said he would. 
because he's the resurrection and the life. Okay, why is this such a big deal? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a statement. I, I hope this is theologically true. The most important doctrine is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think that's true, and you theologians out there, you can correct me and, uh, and, and point out my error of my ways here, but, but I think it is true because it's a vital part of the gospel. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, that the good news, the evangelion, the, the gospel, in other words, uh, the good news I preached unto you. Uh, when you welcomed it and you still stand firm in it, it is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you that which was most important and what had been passed on to me. First of all, Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. Secondly, he was buried. Third, He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. And four, he was seen by Peter and then by the other disciples. And after that, seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. By the way, if some of those 500 had, had been still alive, which several of them were, he said, they would have refuted this if it were not a true fact. But they didn't refute it because it was true. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been one uh, born at the wrong time, Paul says, I also saw him. That was on the road to Damascus. 2 Timothy 2, 8, Paul wrote these words. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news, the gospel that I preach. The gospel is the good news. In the midst of a lot of bad news, in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak, in the midst of people taking their own lives or pondering taking their own lives, in the midst of other problems that are exacerbated by this whole stay-at-home order and so on, and people losing their jobs and people losing their incomes. In the midst of all that, we have some good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died for you on the cross, and he rose again. And it's a fact. Four parts to his gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and his appearances to so many. The appearances were the empirical proof, the, the uh, attesting of, of so many people that, yes, in fact, this happened. We have seen him with our own eyes. And without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, Jesus is still in a tomb somewhere. His body by now has decomposed. Without his resurrection, we are still in our sins. And, and he is no better than any other God, king, prophet, or priest who ever claimed to be anything important if, in fact, there is no resurrection. It's necessary, absolutely necessary for the gospel. Secondly, it's necessary for our salvation. Paul continues in the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians, verse 17, and if Christ is not raised, listen to this, Christian, then your faith is useless. It's of no purpose. It's vain. It's empty. And you are still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ, are lost. They're destroyed. They are no more. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more than to be pitied among anyone in the world. It is necessary for our salvation. There is no eternal redemption without the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. Third, it is necessary for our justification. What is our justification? I had a professor one time in Bible college that said an easy way to remember it is uh, justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. How in the world can Jim Bays ever be as if I had never sinned? Not possible humanly, but possible only because Jesus Christ and his righteousness was imputed to me. Another theological term, it was given to me. It was applied to me. It's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in the tabernacle before that when the high priest once a year would take the blood of the sacrifice in and would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on that golden lid to that Ark of the Covenant and the sins of Israel were covered. They were covered for one year. The sins of the nation covered for one year by that act of obedience and holiness. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and when he was buried and after he rose again, He imputed his righteousness to me. And because his blood was shed, I am clean. I am as if I had never sinned. Paul wrote in Romans 4, 24, God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. And the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Our justification is fulfilled by scriptures regarding his death, burial, and resurrection. Very, very important. It is necessary for our justification. Number four, it's necessary for our fruitfulness. Hey, God didn't save you, and God didn't save me just so we could kind of fly through life here and die and go to heaven, and that's all it's about. He saved us so we would labor for him. He has given us everlasting life so we would serve him and so we would serve people and so we would seek those who desperately need the Lord. And I've been praying, and Pat and I have been praying about not just the United States of America, but the world and this this COVID-19 and how it's affecting the world. Uh, Multiply tens of thousands of people dying all around the world. And if they don't know Christ, they're dying without hope. And there's no comfort for those who loved ones who are left behind when there is no hope. And so trust and faith in Christ gives us hope. God saves us so that we will reproduce. We will be fruitful. We will let others know about who he is. We will share the good news so they too can receive Christ as their personal Savior. In Romans 7, 4, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you're not united. Now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. As a result of his resurrection, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what? uh, There's another uh, truth that's uh, parallel to that, and without him, we can't do a thing. We can't get up in the morning without him. We can't fight a virus that we can't even see without him. Um, I say it again. I think I said it last week that I was talking with maybe with Nick. I'm not sure with who now at this point, but I was talking with someone. I say, can you imagine facing a pandemic without the hope of Christ? I got to tell you, I have no fear. I'm not being delusional. I'm not saying I will never get the COVID-19 because I am a super preacher. I, I may get it tomorrow. I mean, I, but I'm, I have no fear. 
because God is God. And, he, and Jesus is my Savior. And he's not only my Savior and Creator, he's my great physician. And he can heal me if he wants to. He can keep me from getting it if he wants to. But I just know this. I know he wants me to serve him. And I can do nothing without him. And so it's necessary for our fruitfulness that the resurrection of Christ was a reality and really did occur. Number five, it's necessary for our consecration. What is our consecration? Dedication. It's like the furnishings of the temple were consecrated to the Lord. They were set apart, sanctified unto the Lord. The golden candlesticks inside of the the temple area, were not to be used for anything other than that. The, the incense was a special blend of spices that was not to be used for anything other than for the temple of Almighty God. The brazen labor was used for the temple of God. The altar was used for the, uh, the temple of God. Uh, everything, the table of showbread for, for God, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the cherubim on top, they were all dedicated, consecrated unto God. And when you and I get saved, when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become, are you ready for this? We become saints. I'm Saint Jimmy. That's Saint Katie. That's Saint Shira. Saint Gordy, Saint Nick, Saint Pat. Good grief, that's got a ring to it, Saint Pat. All right. But that's what the word means, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be consecrated too. When God saves us, we should not be free to pursue our own goals and desires. We should be realize that we are separated unto him and his work. <clears throat> Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, either way Christ's love controls us, urges us on. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life since the one who died for all, then all died. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Did you hear that? Those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. They will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So our lives ought to have a whole new focus. Our loves ought to be entirely different. Our priorities ought to be reordered. Once we are born again, once we are saved, once we are converted, once we have believed, once we have become a true Christian, these things all change. And what we are devoted to is all together new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new creature, a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of what? Reconciling people to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we, when we plead, come back to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the heavenly kingdom. We represent the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We are appointed by him to be ambassadors, reconciling people to the Lord, bringing them back into right relationship with God. Without the resurrection, we couldn't do that because the resurrection is necessary for our consecration and sanctification. Number six, the resurrection is necessary for our security. Okay, you Baptists, you believe once saved, always saved. Yep. 
And once born into the family, you know what? When you have a baby, we just, I just got a, um, uh, a video or a picture of, of a, a little baby that was born to my cousin's daughter over in, I think they're in Florida, I'm not sure, but she just had a baby today. You know what? Guess what? That baby has been born. That baby cannot be unborn. You remember when Nicodemus was talking to Jesus one night up on the rooftop, and Jesus said, you've got to be born again, and Nicodemus said, hold it. How, do, uh, how, can, uh, do you, how, how can you go back? He was really confused about it. You, you can't be unborn, folks. Once you're born, you have physical parents, you have physical life, and you may die at some point, your body may, but you, you cannot be unborn. Well, when we get born again, we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we are born into the family of God. We cannot be unborn. Nothing ever shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can do that. It's necessary for our security. Who will condemn us then? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. If Christ is not raised, he's not at the right hand. He's not pleading for us. He's not interceding for us. We don't have his security. We don't have his promise. We don't have his blessing. Then we are on our own if Christ is still in a grave somewhere. But never fear. He is alive forevermore. And so you, you who misunderstand this idea of the doctrine of eternal security, look, if, I have to, if Christ saves me and I have to keep myself saved by living a perfect life or a good enough life, the idea of all of our bad works on one side, all of our good works on the other side, whichever one wins out when we die, that's where we go. That's self-salvation. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. I can't save myself. I can't keep myself saved. I have trouble with between my fingers right here. I have trouble with what goes on up here a lot of times. And sometimes comes out of my mouth right here and, uh, and, and attitudes and actions that are not. I can't keep myself saved. But guess what? He who saved me can keep me secure. No one can pluck me out of his hand. Nothing can pluck me out of his hand. It's necessary for our security. And last of all. It is necessary for our own resurrection. Pat, I should have kept a list of all the funerals I've preached in the last 55 years. It's been way too many. And there's such a difference in preaching a funeral for a child of God and preaching a funeral for either someone who you know is lost or you don't know whether they're saved or not. I never want to give false hope. But my favorite text for a Christian's funeral is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And it says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. And the King James Version says, who have fallen asleep. And I like that. We say, well, that's just a euphemism, falling asleep. It, it softens the blow of death. And so that's why it's in there. It's, it's just a, it's a euphemism. It make us feel a little bit better about it. No. When a child of God's body dies, it looks like they're asleep, but they're with the Lord. So concerning those believers who have died, Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. He didn't say, don't grieve for lost loved ones. I've lost two precious aunts in the last three weeks, and it's all right to weep for them, and it's all right to grieve for the loss that we experience and that we feel. 
but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And in both the cases of both these ants, I was able to talk with both of them, and both of them had their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he's the one who purchased their salvation and died for them and rose again. And he's the one who promised them everlasting life. So I grieve, but not as someone who has no hope. Paul further explains it, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, notice how he died and was raised to life again. Can't have one without the other and still have efficacy here. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who've died. Wait a minute. If God's going to bring back with him the believers who died, that means they're already with him. And that's why the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are alive, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And first the believers who have died will rise from the dead. And then together with him, we who are alive and remain on the earth shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he closes this with this word, encourage encourage one another, each, encourage each other. And this word encourage in the Greek is parakaleo, parakaleo, which is a compound word, means to call, to aid, to help, to comfort, to encourage, <clears throat> to, to exhort, to call for, and it's used of the Holy Spirit. And you and I can be comforted by the fact that our faith is in Christ, and the loved one's faith is in Christ. And so one of these days, we preached about it several weeks ago now, Lord's going to come back with a voice, a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, dead in Christ will rise. My mom and dad over their bodies in Glen Abbey, they're coming back with them, and they'll be reunited with glorified bodies. My body will become glorified at that point. Pat and everybody else who's trusting Christ will be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. You know what? The events of the last few weeks have made me realize all the more how close that actually is. Who would have thought six weeks ago, who would have thought businesses would be shut down, people would be told to stay home, the economy would be trashed? Who in the world thought that would happen? In the midst of all that, worst thing can happen, death? No, not to a Christian. What a comfort it is to know that you don't die In Christ, you fall asleep, your body does, and you go to be with God. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no basis for what we're doing today. We shouldn't shouldn't be here at all if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Enemies have long fought the truth of the resurrection for centuries, saying things like he didn't die at all. Muslims claim that Christ didn't really die. Liberal Christian denominations say that he didn't really die. Either he swooned, as we mentioned before, or if he did die, he didn't really rise from the dead. And in fact, that's another thing that's been taught by some, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, and other modernists, to say he only rose spiritually, not physically, because that's impossible, they say. Or they say it's not all that important, or they say it's just not believable. But 1 Corinthians 15 very clearly says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then what I'm doing right now in preaching is absolute vanity. And your faith, if you're believing in Christ, is vanity. And we are found to be liars, false witnesses, and we are still in our sins. And those who have already died are perished without hope and will never see them again. I don't know about you, but 
I believe now is Christ risen from the dead, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. And I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is my resurrection and my life. Question is, is he yours? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads even at home. Just for a moment or two, just bow your heads. And if you would like to receive Christ as your personal Savior right now, on this Easter 2020, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, what a great time to trust the Lord as your personal Savior. If you'd like to do that, then I want you to repeat these words, and I want you to mean it. It's not magic words like abracadabra, but I want you to say these words and mean it from your heart. Say something like this, dear God, I know that I am a sinner, and I know I'm going to die one day. That's a fact of life. I believe right now that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross and he was buried. I believe three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And I believe he's alive forevermore. And I believe your word that says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, I call upon you, Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Save me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you just prayed that prayer or you'd like more information, you can write us or email us or message us on Facebook or in the mail, and I'll send you free of charge a booklet that'll help you understand what you've just done and get started in the Christian life. Christians, happy Easter. He is risen. He's risen indeed. God bless you all. Thanks.
Talk to Daniel about it. You could just show up in your front yard. <laughs> <laughs> 